The Mike Tamano Happening. Hey there. Here we go into another episode of The Mike Tamano Happening. Interesting conversations with amazing people. That's what we do here. It's just a dialogue. Maybe you learn a little something. Maybe you get inspired to do a little something. Or perhaps you just uh, hear some shared sentiments. That's what we're doing here, having great conversations. And, uh, boy, we got a hell of a talk today with a very intelligent man, Jim Cobb. We'll get into that in a moment. I do want to remind you uh, to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget the Tomano blog goes up every other week. And then every other week from that, we post a podcast. And that's for the foreseeable future. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to get the writings out there, and then we're also going to get uh, the podcasts together. Great interviews coming up as well, some really diverse people. And uh, wherever you take your podcast, maybe you listen to them at work, like my daughter does, or perhaps in a road trip situation. Uh, I hope that uh, I'm your choice. And if I am, thank you. And if you're new to the program, just, uh, you know, Strap yourself in. We got a good one today, I'll tell you that. I want to thank Ted Nugent, the Motor City Madman, who uncovered one of my early blogs on uh, MikeTamano.com called The Pocket Knife. He posted it on his social media page, and it exploded. And uh, I really want to thank him once again for all he does for uh, promoting what we do here. And I hope you're prepared for today's program. Because that's what we're talking about. To prep or not to prep, that is the question, and it should not be a question. We prepare for job interviews, for weddings, for first dates. We prepare for each day. You know, each night I lay out my clothes for the next day, fill my pillbox with my medicines and vitamins and supplements, and I make sure the tank on the truck is full the night before. And before I do go to bed each night, I make sure the home is secure in a variety of ways. I never leave home without tools to secure my safety and those around me. A clean hanky, flash drives, keys, coffee thermos, you know. I prep that the night before. Before I go to sleep, coffee grounds are in the filter in the coffee maker, and it's filled with water, ready to roll. Time is of the essence. We have these rituals, these daily rituals. We prepare for daily life. Short term is easy. You know, it comes naturally. It's prepping for the long haul, the unexpected, the disaster that eludes too many of us. I know so many people that are unprepared for each day, let alone a crisis. The upheaval of a job loss or an unforeseen expense completely devastates them. I mean, I don't like to preach, but, you know, I'd much rather spend extra cash on ammo than a nipple piercing, a state-of-the-art generator instead of a sleeve tattoo. But prepping is a discipline and a practice that has emerged from the underground world of survivalists to the average American family in recent years, certainly following the unrestricted riots of the last couple of years, uh, the defunding and restriction of police, escalation of murder rates and gun violence. Those have spurred a rise in gun sales. The pandemic and supply decline has given us all a chance to see how much we depend on commerce to operate normally. And you're seeing people, like I said, who have never thought of owning a gun, buying guns, training with them, learning how to defend themselves. You're seeing people who have never thought 
of catching a fish or hunting a deer doing so with the organic meat movement. When you're seeing freezers at the grocery store empty and shelves empty, kind of makes you think, I should be prepared. And it's your duty to yourself and your family to be well prepared for the spectrum of dire situations from the, you know, snowstorm to the riot, the gun-wielding lunatic in a mall to the carjacker, the attempted robbery of your home to a terrorist attack on our country. And if you're not prepared, then you're selling your life short. The trust in our leaders, it's a facade. The faith that a call to 911 will save you is blind faith. The it-won't-happen-to-us notion is, you know, possible suicide. The least you can do is be prepared as well as you can. Jim Cobb is a prepping expert, a brilliant author of numerous books on the subject, and he's with us to discuss the fundamentals. I'm a prepper. He's a prepper. Wouldn't you like to be a prepper, too? And Jim Cobb joins us on this week's episode of the Mike Tomato Happening. Jim's a disaster preparedness counselor, a well-respected author, and his books, if you have any inkling on learning how to prep properly, then Jim's the go-to guy. And he's also a private investigator, security specialist, and it's great to have you on with us, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You know, the nice thing about you is you are dedicated to helping others become prepared. And I don't think in my 50-plus years that the recognition of that need has been more apparent. Am I overreacting or am I about on target? Oh, no, this is uh, definitely... Uh, for lack of a better term, the golden age of, of prepping. <laughs> <laughs> the golden age of prepping. And you know, it goes beyond politics. It goes beyond being an outdoors type or being someone that's been militarily trained or have a background in that. It's really about people stepping back and saying, well, what about the food I'm eating? What about the prices of groceries? What about the crazy, crazy stuff that has happened in the last few years that we never really thought you know the security the feeling of security especially in this country has started to dissipate in the last couple of years at least in you know me and the people that i know oh i agree a hundred percent you know it's interesting every day it seems like we get more and more people who become interested in okay how do i get better prepared for life's little curveballs you know Mm -hmm. what can i do and frequently there are people who there are individuals who didn't really think about it before they never gave a second thought to well i'm hungry let's go out to eat well you know i don't really want to cook tonight i'm just going to stop and grab dinner on the way home you know things like that and it gets to the point where it's like okay what if you can't go out and grab takeout what if Mm -hmm. uber eats isn't running that day you know what do you do and Coupled with that, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of people who are becoming more and more interested in, for lack of a better term, a self-reliant sort of lifestyle. You know, not necessarily a pull up stakes and go live out in the middle of nowhere, but you have more and more urban dwellers who want to raise backyard chickens, for example. Right. And, you know, you have more and more people who want to learn how to can their own food at home and how to preserve things for later use. And it's wonderful that all of these people are starving for this knowledge. It's just, in a way, it's a surprise, and in another way, it's a very pleasant surprise. Right. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, Jim, I've always been an avid outdoorsman. It was, uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, so it was a big thing for us to go away camping and hiking and hunting and fishing on the weekends with my father. It took root deep inside of me because there's an accountability factor there that really turned me on. And I have watched over the last few years people who are very urban and didn't grow up on a farm and didn't grow up with families that took them fishing or hunting they start to get into this organic food movement because they're looking at what's going on in these factory farms and they're thinking, well, I might as well go shoot a duck or kill a deer to feed my family yep. than to put this poison on our tables. Yeah, it's Absolutely. interesting. You talked about, you know, homesteading and it's popular where I live. I live in rural Illinois now and it's grown with not only the organic food movement, but like you were saying, people are keeping chickens, people are keeping goats. And people are, the little gardens that were just tomato plants before are now taking up maybe uh, maybe a fourth or a fifth of the backyard, you know? Yep. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is you have more and more people who they're finding ways around the rules where they live. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, you know, you have these urban dwellers who live in um, homeowner association governed communities. And some of those HOAs don't allow certain types of gardening and things like that. So I get a lot of inquiries from people like, okay, how can I grow food in my backyard but so I won't get in trouble right. with you know having a garden or whatever? So we talk about things like container gardening and things like gorilla gardening where you know, you've got your nice little flower bed, but within that flower bed, you're actually growing food alongside those flowers and the average person has no idea. Has no idea. You know, the average person looks at your flower bed, they don't know that that big bushy green thing is actually carrots. Right. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I love that kind of stuff. I love trying to help people figure out ways to better meet their needs within the confines of where they live. You know, when we think about homesteading, traditionally we think about somebody who has you know, several acres, dozens of acres of land where they can, you know, stretch their arms and they can do all these wonderful things. Not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody has the budget to go out and buy, especially today with the way land prices are. Right. Um, real estate's going through the roof. A lot of people just don't have that option. So it becomes of, you know, how can I do more with less? How can I meet my needs with a backyard, an urban backyard, you know? And, Fortunately, there are strategies that you can implement, and you're not going to be able to grow everything you're ever going to need, but you can certainly make a dent in the grocery bill. Supplement a little bit. Yeah, you know, and my wife, she when she really started getting into the prepping thing and canning and getting chickens and expanding the garden, it's funny because your name kept coming up. People are saying, this is the go-to guy. He's got a bunch of books that are extremely practical, and your expertise and knowledge that you impart spans the spectrum from just like you're saying now, daily prepping, saving on the bills, or, you know, oh boy, the shit has hit the fan. We have to survive situations. And I think that's why people uh, bring your name up whenever prepping is concerned. Well, and I, obviously, I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I've tried to do over the years is I try to be practical. I try to be common sense and I try to be pragmatic. You know, one of the things that I think is a is a detriment 
to the, we'll just call it the prepping movement to give it a term, one of the, the negative aspects of it is people tend to want to get all wrapped up in, say, the politics and, you know, pointing fingers why we're in the situation we're in or whatever. And I try to remove that from the conversation because uh, as a practical matter, it doesn't matter. It absolutely we're all facing matter. the same grocery prices. Right. What are we going to do about it? You yeah. know, so I tend to think a lot of that, it becomes a distraction. And right. it tends to pull attention away from what I feel are the more pressing issues. And I think that resonates with a lot of particularly the new people, people who are new to the whole prepping thing. They don't want to sit and debate endlessly about this, that, and the other thing. They want to know, what can I do today right. to be in a better position tomorrow? Because no matter what your political allegiance is or your leanings are, when it comes to protecting your family, your home, your belongings, your life... That goes far beyond who won an election yep. or what taxes are or what, you know, they're going to do with this, that, and the other thing with ordinances. You know, you were talking earlier, survivalists who live off the grid, you know, you kind of mentioned that it's not for everybody. And I think the more we see, well, the more we're exposed to that, you see these TV shows like Alone, where they put someone out on an island and you have to hunt and fish and, and build your own place. I think the last couple of years that we've seen really big expansion in division, violence, war now, and price hikes. People are thinking, boy, I could never, ever do that. Because even, you know, I'm, 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 I try to be practical in my gaining of knowledge. And I read books by guys like you, and I, and I keep up to date on prepping, and I learn that the chickens shouldn't be too close to the house because they're going to bring mice in the house. And, and so... You start to accumulate this knowledge, but there is a discipline to this. So how did you get started? I mean, give us a little background, Jim, on when you started saying this is the the route I'm going to go and become an expert in. Well, I actually got started with prepping when I was about 10 years old, believe it or not. Not formal, you know, I'm not like, you know, investing in stockpiles at 10 years old, but I was about 10. I grew up in the rural Midwest where, you know, tornado warnings and blizzards and things like that, it was very common. You know, it wasn't, it was a big deal, but not a big deal. Right. You know, and so that the idea of stocking up on food and things like that, that was just kind of how you lived. You know, you didn't necessarily have a food pantry that you could live off of for a year, but you certainly had enough to last a few weeks. Right. You know, and... I, I can distinctly remember when I was about 10 years old, we would get, you know, and this is back in the 70s, okay, so when there's a tornado warning, there would be the siren that would come through your TV. Yes. You know, yes. It would break into whatever TV show you're watching, and then that scroll would start at the bottom of the screen. And when that would happen, I would take it upon myself to start grabbing what I considered to be survival supplies and take them down into the basement in case a tornado hit. Now, being a, a young child, the survival supplies were things like blankets, my teddy bear, right. some canned things, you know. But regardless of how ridiculous that was, that was where the mindset started. And it right. just kind of snowballed from there. When I was about 12, my dad brought home the first couple of books in a series called The Survivalist by Jerry and Sharon Ahern. 
And I tore through those within a couple of days and loved it. It was your typical, you know, after a nuclear war, your ex-CIA former surgeon hero has got this massive mountain retreat and things like that. It, it was a lot of fun. Right. You know, it wasn't all practical, but it was fun. And that really kind of started my mind going about, okay, how, how do you build a survival retreat? And what do you do? How do you stock it? And things like that. And when I went back to the bookstore to get the next couple of books in that series, I came across a book called Life After Doomsday by Dr. Bruce Clayton. Here was an actual for real survival manual that talked about how to practice, you know, how to put all yeah. these things together. So I mowed lawns for a couple of weeks to save up the money and went back and bought it. And it was The Survivalist, it was Life After Doomsday. These things really set me on the path. And I just started soaking up every bit of knowledge I could find. You know, obviously this is years before the internet. Right. So I'm scouring through libraries and I'm buying magazines right. and things like that. As I grew older, you know, once I hit my teens, I became more interested in the kind of things that teens are more interested in and kind of right. fell away from the prepping for a while. And then in my early 20s, met the woman who would eventually marry, you know, we'd get married. We started a family. And it was right around then that Y2K was starting to crop up right. in the news. Now, I didn't think Y2K was a big deal. I didn't think it was going to amount to anything. But it was the people who were talking about, and this was the very early years of what we consider prepping today. This is when that term first really started coming into play because prior to that, it was all survivalism. And it was survivalist. And when you would hear the term survivalist, you don't usually think of some guy dressed head to toe in camouflage you know, toting some military weapon and whatever. Prepping was like survivalist light. It was much more interested in food storage, water storage, mm. things like that. And as these subjects became more and more talked about in the media, it kind of reignited that passion in my life. You know, I've got a yeah. young child, I'm married, I want to be ready just in case something were to happen. Right. And again, we're not talking end of the world. We're talking job loss. Yeah, we're right. talking severe storms, things like that. So I, I dove headfirst back into the whole lifestyle, and I haven't looked back since. So it was just a natural calling. This was it started out as something. Boy, this is interesting, and then boy, down that rabbit hole you went, and now oh, you, yeah. you have ten books out, right? Is it ten or is it more? Uh, I think it's 10. <laughs> yeah, well, um, they're, they're all very focused, but they all revolve around preparedness and survival. When you talked about it is not a political thing, and it's not. Preparedness is just a natural human urge to, to survive. Yep. But I have seen as a parent and as a United States citizen in the last few years, I have seen a lenience towards violent actions. Maybe it's, I'm not saying they're becoming more acceptable. It just doesn't seem there's much intervention. The riots scared me. When I saw sure. people, when I saw people rioting and looting, I said, well, you know, this is the kind of stuff that happens. But when I saw people intimidating folks at their home and in Oregon, marching through neighborhoods and getting like into people's property and homesteads. I said to myself, there's something missing here. We've, we've kind of lost 
that security blanket where we say, well, at least the good guys are going to step in and change this or, you know, the authorities or whatever. Have you noticed the lenience towards violence in America? Uh, to a degree. Um, I, I mean, I think, yes, there, there's there been an increase in incidents and a decrease in what we might think of as proper responses. At the same time, I think with the advent of the way the media is mm. these days, you see it instantly. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're seeing these things live where even 10 years ago, you might not see it as much just because the media isn't broadcasting it as much. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, it's kind of like we talk about how it seems like there are so many disasters all over the world all the time. There's always something happening. That's not new. Right, it's not It's new. just that we're hearing about it more often. Right, we're bombarded. You know, when you and I were kids, if there was an earthquake in India, right. we wouldn't know it for a few days right. at best. Right. Now you're seeing it live and in person. Yeah, right. So the world's always you know? been crazy. We're just we're just getting it uh, as it happens now. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you talk about home defense as well. I want to talk about both literally the home, how to prep the home, and inside the home, how to defend yourself. Because I know this is something you touch on very eloquently in one of your books. And to get your house prepped what are some just quick suggestions that i know people can get into more details in your books well i always look at home defense or any security plan in general as having three distinct levels or stages okay you have deter delay and defend deter is basically you're playing on that risk versus reward equation you want to convince the potential intruder that the risk outweighs the reward now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have this, you know, whiz-bang, awesome offense and you're threatening everybody. It's a compromise, okay? It's a balance. You want to increase the risk or the perceived risk while decreasing the perceived reward. So, for example, for, for the deter, dogs can be a great deterrent if you if you can have them you can commit to you know having a pet um motion activated outdoor lights is another one along with signs that indicate the use of a security system even if you don't really have that security system okay just putting the signs up is often enough to just convince that person you know what it's not worth the potential of that alarm going off, I'm going to go next door, I'm going to go down the street. Right. Okay. What's not a deterrent, and I, I used to see this all the time, are these clever little signs and stickers that say things like, these premises are protected by Smith & Wesson. Right. You're not intimidating anybody. All you're doing is advertising that there are firearms in the home that could be stolen. All they got to do is wait for somebody to leave. Isn't that something? And you know what? I, I remember uh, getting in an argument, and I'm going to branch off here on a tangent. I'm going to get back to your, your three levels in just a moment. The whole thing about firearms, because I'm a Second Amendment proponent. I've been asked to speak many times. I run a camp each year where we teach, amongst many programs for the outdoors, gun safety. And I live next to Indiana. And so oftentimes I'll go shopping in Indiana a lot of people there are open carry people. And I, I always tell when I get the chance to that that is, A, an extremely poor tactical decision. You're telling anybody that's a professional criminal, you're the first person that needs to go out. There's yep. no element of surprise. It also puts the public on edge. You know, the little old lady getting a bagel 
doesn't want to see a big gun on your hip and if you're not a police officer. So I think um, those are the things. That's the same thing as when people put, you know, we have guns on the property or, you know, this this home protected by Smith & Wesson. Like you said, you're just telling people who pass by scouting your house, well, there's guns in there and we can get money for those. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so and, that was level you know, one. I, I didn't mean to... Uh, no, you're fine. So you're off have just to... <laughs> a little bit further <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the open versus concealed carry. One of the biggest problems that I see either way is the lack of training. Lack of training. You know, people yes. think all they got to do is go out and buy the pistol, put it on their hip, and they're good to go. Right. And if you're not trained in how to keep that weapon secure, and on top of that, you're using faulty gear, right? you're putting yourself at greater danger of somebody just taking it away from you. Yeah, that's that's the next point I, I had in my notes here is I have a hard time with people who, because I, I encourage everyone who's of sane mind and who wants to protect themselves to look into firearm ownership. But here in Illinois, you have to get a concealed carry permit but even that, you purchase a gun, you know, you do your research, you talk to buddies, you talk to the gun shop guy. Even getting a gun, taking that training program, if it's, you know, 18, 20 hours, whatever it is, if you're not practicing with that thing all the time, you know, the remote chance that you're going to have to use it, you're probably not going to be familiar with it if you're not training with right. it. You know, people practice their golf swings and people, people uh, play, you know what I'm saying? Go to the gun yep. range and learn and ask questions. Yeah, that's a, that, that was, that's a great point because I, I see that too. Because the one thing that has been instilled in me, and I own a few guns and I, and I like to shoot guns often, I'm always afraid of a gun. And, yep. and 2009, this day, it was St. Patrick's Day, 2009, I lived in Kankakee, Illinois, I'm laying in my robe on my couch watching television. My daughter was very young at the time. She was in her bedroom and my wife was brushing her teeth, getting ready for bed. And this guy comes right through the front door. And I had taken enough training, enough tactical training with law officials that said they, you know, you assess the situation. And I immediately knew he was drunk and that he fell down, first of all. So he didn't seem that much of a threat, but still I had a gun and 911 in a moment. And I knew that I couldn't shoot him unless he threatened my life. And that is, you know, right. that's that. And, and so many people think, well, if someone breaks in my house, I'm going to, they're going to go out feet first. Well, you're going to end up going to jail if you don't know the laws in your state. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And even when we talk about, you know, spinning this back to the prepping area, we talk about, you know, these grid down scenarios, these long-term disasters, you know, if there was, I don't know, an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse or something like that, people talk about how it's just going to be this Mad Max world. The reality is no disaster lasts forever. And at some point, order is going to be restored probably sooner than you think it will. And at some point after that, there may be consequences for the actions you took right. while the grid was down. Right. And I'm not saying that, you know, that means you can't protect your family or whatever. All I'm saying is it's not necessarily going to be the free for all that you think it's going to be, at least right. not forever. Right. You know, now back to the, the home security before we get down further down a rabbit hole. The second layer is delay. There's deter, then there's delay. Right. Delay focuses on ways to increase the amount of time it takes for the intruder to reach their objective while also decreasing the amount of time it takes you to learn that they're there, okay? Oh, right. So, for example, using sturdy locks 
on all your doors, you know, so they're not easy to, for somebody to just walk right in. The existence of an actual alarm system that, you know, they can see the panel on the wall and they know that they're going to have to do something about that. You know, these are things that are going to slow them down. You know, planting uh, thorny shrubs in front of your windows so they can't easily just zip right in, you know, and they're going to have to deal with that. And then the third is defend. You know, this is where, okay, they got in, you found that they're there, Ooh. what do you do about it? Whether it's, you know, utilizing a firearm or another weapon. One of the things that I always caution people at this point is there's a lot of literature out there about putting up booby traps in your house and on your property. And this is a, an incredibly bad idea all around. Not only are most of them illegal, um, and we just talked about the consequences end of this, on top of that, they're far more dangerous to you and your family than they are to any intruder. Right. Because you've got a grandchild who comes to visit and you didn't get a chance to tell them where the tripwires are mm -hmm. in the yard, things like that. And on top of that, you're also endangering first responders. If there's a fire in your house or somebody has a heart attack, you call 911, they come barreling in and end up getting a leg shot off because you had the back door wired to a shotgun. Right. You know? Yeah. And, I mean, there. if you do the research, there are all kinds of different... There, there's all kinds of case law out there about situations that happen where even if, okay, let's just devil's advocate... You were 100% in the right in that you set up this booby trap because somebody kept breaking into your house and somebody does break in with demonstrable intent to do harm and they sh you shoot their leg off, you're still going to get sued. Right. And you're still going to pay out the nose for legal fees even if you win the case. Yeah. Yeah, or you someone know. innocent coming to your house for whatever right. reason. You know, their car right. broke down, they want to use your phone, and you end up killing them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah the exactly. booby trap thing is always, that to me, with with people like you and, and all, the, all the prepper guys and, and gals that I know and all the people that are into practical survival techniques, the booby trap to me always seems like something that goes over the edge into something that's fantasy yep. world. There's many more practical things you can do to prepare yourself. Absolutely. And I forget so much stuff, I would blow my own leg off coming home from work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You get home, your arms are full of groceries, you <laughs> nudge the door in, and next thing you know, you know, you're wake up in a hospital room. Right, right. Um, here are a couple of things that people can do that are very, very cheap and easy and actually have a positive impact. Number one, go through and replace all of the hinge screws on your exterior doors. Your exterior doors typically have three hinges and the hinge is attached to the wall and it's, or the door frame rather and the door itself. The screws that go into the door frame, back them out one by one. You'll see that they're not even an inch long in some cases, okay? Take one of those screws, go to the hardware store and buy a handful of stainless steel screws the same thickness or same diameter but about three inches long. Then take them home and one by one back out the old screw, put in the new screw. That actually, what you're doing is you're attaching that hinge to the frame itself, to, to the structure of the wall, not just the thin wood that's holding the door up. And it makes it much more difficult to kick the door in. The other tip, and this is so easy, use the locks you have. So many people don't lock their door. They don't lock the windows. 
and then they're shocked that somebody came in. Use the locks, that's why they're there. Install a deadbolt on your exterior doors and use it. Right. That's That in and of itself is a major deterrent. Somebody walks up, they jiggle the door, oh, it's locked, they move on to the next place. Right. You know, when, when you talked about the, the third level defense, you know, someone's in your house and having enough of an outlay of the house and, and understanding they're making a lot of noise. I know someone's coming in. I'm down the hall. I know my kids are next to me or, you know, in the, in the next room. You have to know the layout, but also when it's dark, give some, give some firearm tips uh, for my fear is people get scared. They're not thinking of gun safety and they're going to put one through the wall and maybe hit a child or, you know, or whatever their, their spots. Right. It can't yep. be a labyrinth in the dark. No, you have to know the house. What I always recommend are people to use nightlights throughout the house. You know, the, where the, the ones with the eye, where when the room gets dark, the lights come on. When the light, when you turn on the light in the room, the, the night lights go off. Use these little lights throughout the house so that way you're not operating in pitch darkness, number one, okay? Number two, you need to get training. You need to seek out classes that go beyond just hitting paper targets at the range, okay? You need to understand that shooting a paper target at a range is far different then your heart is in your throat, your hands are shaking something fierce, you right. can't see anything. Right. One real simple thing that you can do just to kind of emulate what it's going to feel like is go to the range and do 35 jumping jacks as fast as you can and then pick up your firearm and try to hit the target. With your pulse racing, Yes. Okay. your hands are going to be shaking, it's a lot different than just going to the range with your buddies for an afternoon and burning through a couple of boxes of ammunition. Absolutely. You know? Um, Everyone's an armchair general when it comes to survival and defense. Because oh, yeah. the day after this gentleman came into my house, and again, he was drunk. It was St. Patrick's Day. He just didn't know where he was at. On the phone, I had 911 yelling at me, don't shoot him, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. Is, right. is Does he have a firearm? And he actually reached in his jacket and pulled a beer out. At that point, I didn't know if it was a gun. And uh-huh. you talked about my heart being in my throat. I had never been so frightened in my life. Because the last yep. thing I wanted to do was shoot somebody, you know? Right. And, right. and it's funny because you, 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 yeah, do thirty jumping jacks and get yourself worn out and hyped up. Get that blood pressure going, and then see how good, how accurate you are. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've taught your family this stuff too. How do you start teaching a child the practical side of being prepared, and whether that's being you know aware of your surroundings, which I always hound my daughter with, you know be aware of everything that's going on around you to, you know, saving for the rainy day. Well, with, with things like situational awareness, for example, make a game out of it. You know, kids like to have fun. One of the easiest way to teach children skills is to make it fun for them. You know, and that's where I think sometimes we fall flat because we want them to just, well, you just need to know this. Well, yeah, but they're not going to retain it unless it, you know, they understand the concept and they're going to get that through repetition if you make it into a game. So, for example, with situational awareness, when my kids were little and we would go somewhere, 
I would make a game out of, okay, what color was the shirt on the guy who just passed us? Mm. Or was he wearing glasses? Or how many kids did that mother have with her? You know, things like that where after a while it gets to be just kind of a habit that you make little notes about what's going on. Another thing that I, I would talk to my kids about is make a story out of what's going on around you just in your head and you're narrating a story. You know, and you pick up on little details, you know. And then we went to the beach, and as we walked down the beach, we saw a mom. She had her two kids, and her two kids were playing in the sand while the mom was reading a book and things like that, you know. And you just, you start to pick it up. You start to remember it. Learn how to recall things, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's excellent. With the financial part of it, Yes. um, this is an area where my, my wife really was the one. Um, I will readily admit that I did not grow up with financial sense at all, right. at all. Right. My parents were very, very much the, the paycheck came in, we're spending it immediately, Right. you know, and try to keep up with the Joneses. And I mean, it was the eighties. Yeah, okay. Right, and everybody right. was trying to buy, buy, buy. And my wife was very much not like that. And this led to some strife when we, you know, got together. And eventually I I understood where she was coming from and realized that she's right. And we've tried to instill some of these financial skills to our our kids with, you know, saving for a rainy day and the, the danger of credit cards. Amen. Now... You know, one of the things that I I talk about when I give classes on, like, financial preparedness, things like that, credit cards are not inherently evil. It's us that use them in the wrong way. It's the impulse, yes. Now, just as an example, we have a credit card that gives us a cashback bonus based on how much we use it, okay? We use that card for everything, every purchase we make from day to day goes through that credit card. I'm talking groceries, talking Walmart, I'm talking gas, I'm talking car insurance payments, the premium for our health coverage. It all goes through this one credit card. We pay it off every month. We're not spending more. We're just, you know, all these different bills that we would normally pay separately, we're just paying them all with this credit card and then making one payment to the credit card each month. In doing this, we have earned thousands. Right, you're getting paid in cash you're, back. You're working the system against itself. That's fantastic. And now, more and more people are doing that, though. If, if, but right. you have to have a discipline. There's a discipline. It, I was just going to say, yeah. this isn't for everybody. <laughs> no, don't everybody do this. Really, you have to be objective about yourself before you do that. You have to be very disciplined. You have to really know from day to day how much you're spending how much you're going to be able to pay, uh, you know, because the last thing you want to do is pay interest. Every dollar that you pay in interest and fees is a dollar less that you have available to spend on something fun or to spend on prepping or food or whatever the case is. And the objective is always to make them pay you, not you pay them. Right, right. Beautiful. We touched on awareness and teaching your kids to be aware of their surroundings. Let's talk about when a situation escalates, you're on the street. Let's talk about survival on the streets, being prepared on the street. You're at a restaurant with your family. Someone goes 
crazy or starts doing something. How do you approach that situation? Number one, always have an exit route. Okay. Now, when I say that, some people have a tendency to think I'm insisting everybody turn themselves into Jason Bourne or some secret agent and they walk into a room and immediately assess all these different things. All I'm suggesting is always know how you can get out of where you are if the front door isn't available. Know where the fire exits are. Know where the employee-only doors are. You know, things like that. You know, one of the things that we, we overlook, because they're so common, they just become part of the landscape, are these doors that say employees only. Some of them are just stock rooms, but a lot of them lead you to a back entrance, the employees only area where the employees come and go, or the dock that you can get out from, right. you know, where they pull up the trucks, things like that. Always look for ways that you're going to be able to get you and your family out of the situation and to safety. If I'm in a restaurant or I'm in a store and some guy just starts going crazy, my first job is to make sure my family is safe. I want to get them out of there. I want to get them away from the danger, get a hold of 911, let them know what's going on, and let them take care of it. Right. If I'm unable to get my family out of the situation, or I'm in myself in immediate danger, I'm going to take whatever action I feel is necessary to protect, protect myself and my family and then get the hell out of there. One of the things that we talk about are less than lethal options, such as pepper spray. Don't ever use wasp spray. I don't care what you've read online. It doesn't work. Use real pepper spray. Right, right. Um, the idea behind pepper spray is to disable the attacker, okay? It's not going to kill them. It's not going to... All it, it, it affects their vision right. and it affects their breathing. And it does so in a very immediate way. There are very, very few people who can take a full shot of full-strength, good-quality pepper spray and just laugh it off. Right. Okay? It's not a matter of how tough they are. It's a matter of how their body actually reacts to it. The mucous membranes swell up. Eyes start to tear. It becomes hard to breathe. It becomes hard to see. And you're able to get away. Buys you time. Okay? Yes. Yeah. You know, and that, exactly, that, that's what we're talking about is buying time. We're, we're talking about delaying their attack enough that you can get you and your family out of there. Right. And then let the authorities handle it. That's what they get paid to do. And you have to learn how to you use know? pepper spray, too, so you don't end up spraying it in your own face. You right. know, this, everything now, is training. Everything is training. You know? Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, what matters is if you wake up the next morning on the green side of the grass. Right. Right. Okay. Right. And if you do... Yay, you won. <laughs> right, that's it. Your books are very practical to use, and they're very uh, to the point. There's not a lot of wandering around and stuff. And I own land in remote Michigan, and there's a lot of people there off the grid. And you talk about in your financial prepping book, the barter system and learning that and knowing that if something stops us in our tracks as a society and we have to learn how to coexist with people who are no longer going to work or the stores are closed there is a, there's a barter system that you need to learn about let's elaborate on that a little bit well there's pros and cons to to relying on barter okay 
number one, it can be a wonderful, wonderful tool. Right. If you go into it with the right mindset, you know, the the problem is we there are a lot of preppers or aspiring preppers who think, okay, I need to stock up on a bunch of stuff that I can use for barter later. So I'm going to go buy a couple of cases of disposable lighters, some cheap folding knives, and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going to put it all in a box so that way down the road I have it that I can trade people for eggs and whatever else I need. That's the wrong approach for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're counting on somebody else having thought to prep something you didn't. Okay? Right, right. And on top of that, in order for a successful trade to happen, you need to have something they want. They need to have something you want. Both of those things need to be of comparable value to one another, and you need to be aware that each other exists. Right, right. And that's the, that last part is where it kind of falls apart for some people because yeah. at the same time, you know, the, there's this whole, you can't tell anybody you're a prepper and you can't, you got to avoid people and blah, 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 <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> right. But as a practical matter, the, the way barter should work is you, you make those connections now right? with right. your neighbors and with people in your community. You find out, okay, well, you know, Susie, a couple houses down, she has chickens in her backyard. And I really like to bake. So I'm going to work out a trade with her maybe. I'm going to talk to her and see if she'll take a couple of loaves of bread for a dozen eggs or a couple dozen eggs and do this on a regular basis. And then when, you know, when spring comes and we put in our gardens, I might talk to Joe across the street and Barbara Kitty Corner and see what they're going to plant so that we're, we're not all planting everything exactly the same. And maybe I'll grow potatoes while he grows asparagus and she grows this, and we're going to do kind of a round-robin trade at the end of this growing season. Right. You know, you need to have these conversations now, and it doesn't at all need to be about prepping when you're talking to them. Right. It's just you know? like reliance, like a, like a co-op. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, the many communities have a community garden area. You know, smaller towns, they have land specifically set aside for people who don't have a backyard where they can grow right. gardens. Right. And you can go there and you can, you know, grow your stuff there. You, you know, rent a little plot or whatever it is. Talk to the other people there and start to network with them. Talk about what they're growing. And on top of you know, being able to set up some of these trading relationships, you'll also get a feel for, okay, this guy's been growing gardens for 30 years. He knows what's going to grow in this area and what isn't. Mm. So I'm going to talk to him and find out what grows really well here and what I should avoid planting because it's just going to be a waste. Mm. You know, things like that. Trading isn't always about stuff. Right. Trading can be about skills and about knowledge, too. You know, in Michigan, because I, ultimately I'm a city boy, the last, you know, 10, 15 years I've been on, on a farm, but, but it is, it's, it's instilled in me. I, I didn't grow up with that connection to the earth that someone who lives on a farm their whole life does. And in Michigan, I have a guy who has blue tick hounds, and our barter system is he keeps deadfalls, he takes them, you know, and I say, mm-hmm. if, 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 you know, because snow comes through there or the winter time when I can't get in there, the, the trees are going to fall. 
I said, you take the yep. trees that fall so I can get in my driveway and you can run your pounds down my country lane. There's our trade-off. So yeah. that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, excellent. or you have a neighbor who, you know, you happen to know that they're either a mechanic full-time or they just like to tinker with cars and you're a roofer. Okay. So you offer, hey, you know, I see your garage really you know, the, the roof is looking kind of bad. I'd be happy to patch that up and help you out if you could help me get my truck running again because, right. you know, there's something wrong with it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. We do these things all the time. We just don't think of them as barter. We just think of it as being a good neighbor. Right, and you'll have those people on your mind when, when you do need them in a dire situation. I got gotcha. you. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. When I'm in Michigan and I'm camping for a week, I'm always exposed to new challenges that I'd never thought of, whether it's an insect bite or whatever, or something's not working and I have to go find someone in the in the middle of nowhere to fix it. What other things besides firearm safety and maybe walking, you know, an emergency plan with your family through the house, we can practice them, we can think about them, but until we put them into being done, we're not expert at them, you know? And so what what are some of the ways you would train someone for a, for a disaster situation? Well, one of the easiest things to do is... Tell the family, okay, from Friday evening until Sunday afternoon, we're going to pretend we have no power in the house. Nothing, you're not able to use anything electronic unless it's something that you have charged up now, but you can't recharge it when the battery dies. Okay? And we have no internet. Nothing, you can't communicate with the outside world. There's no, there's no internet, there's no social media, blah, 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 blah. And just try it for a couple of days and see what challenges you run into. Now, some people will go so far with these drills as to they'll shut off the main breaker to the house and literally shut off the power. That's okay, but you run the risk of losing the food in the fridge and damaging food in the freezer and things like that just for the sake of realism, you know, and when you're just starting out in particular, the last thing you want to do is create more expense for the family rather than trying to save money, you know? Right. So try faking it just for a day, just even a day, just one day, no power. Right. And see what the challenges are. See what you didn't think of. Right. You know, and it's just like when you go camping for the first time. A lot of people, they bring so much stuff and they realize <laughs> they really didn't need half of it and they forgot a dozen things that they should have brought. You forgot the stuff you should have brought and all the food that you have in the cooler is not going to make it back home. I got gotcha. you. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Man, I could spend um, all day with you. This is this is amazing stuff. <laughs> you know, th- another one that uh, I like to do is the evacuation drill. Right. Where you say, okay, I'm going to set an alarm or I'm going to, you know, do something, just going to yell, whatever it is, and we want to see how quickly we can get everybody the pets, everything out to the vehicle and away from the house. You know, how quickly can we do that? And the first couple of times, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. People, (laughs) you know, you end up, you forgot a kid or, you know, things like that. But after a while, you you start to, to get into a rhythm with it and you start to realize, you know, where you can shave time. And every time you do it, you get a little bit better and a little bit better. After a while, it becomes second nature. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, when we did that at my house, we, we didn't do it too drastic and we didn't turn the power off or anything, but we did talk about evacuation and wherever you're at in the house, what's the closest door to get out of the house. Until we did that, it didn't dawn on me how many doors I have in my house, which that, now that became a concern, you know, it's like, well, we got to make sure we lock every one of these things, you know, at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things where, boy, I never use that door that's in the, you know, that particular room that I never go in. That's a door to the outside. I might want to, you know, remember that one. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so much to go through with you, man. It, it is a real pleasure. And an hour went by quickly with you. But I want to tell people, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You, like a young Jim Cobb discovering that survival book and just delving right into it, it's interesting, it's fun, and it's it's written in a very, very conversational style. Let's talk about where they can get you. I mean, just the books... I'm looking at, uh, and, and all you have to do is go to Amazon and put uh, Jim Cobb prepping. I mean, you're, that's like synonymous, but you've got the financial guide. You've got, what's the the countdown one, right? Countdown to, countdown to preparedness. Yeah. That one, that's one of my favorites. It's set up like it's it's a class. Yes. Okay, where, you know, there's 52 different lessons in there. Each one of them, you know, the idea originally was you could spend a year and do a lesson a week, and at the end of the year, you're going to be prepared. And a lot of people go through it a whole lot faster than a year. You know, they don't take a week to go through one lesson. But each lesson has, you know, a reading section and then certain items to stock up on for food and water, money to set aside for um, future emergencies, things like that, you know, different homework assignments. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people really like that approach. Um, The one, the book that, is the most popular among my readers is Prepper's Long-Term Survival Guide. That one, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many thousands and thousands of copies that that book has sold over the years. That's Um, the book that talks about, like you were were touching on, living within your neighbors and and living with people that you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important. Yeah. Because like you said, even when the disaster becomes, you know, is alleviated... Or when, you know, we come to the clearing, it's good to know that you have people on your side while it's happening. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You can find my books at Amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold. If they don't have them on the shelf, they can certainly order them in. I also, I'm the editor-in-chief for Prepper Survival Guide and Backwoods Survival Guide magazines. You can find those anywhere magazines are sold. Walmart, Costco, Walgreens, Tractor Supply, Barnes & Noble, they've all got them. Um Backwoods comes out six times a year. Prepper comes out four times a year. I usually have a, at least a couple articles of my own in each issue, in addition to articles from a very, very diverse group of writers who are all uh, loaded with practical experience. I contribute regularly to Knives Illustrated, American Outdoor Guide, Field and Stream. I've been in a handful of others over the years. I've got a new book coming out later this summer called The Urban Prepper's Guide. I think that's out in August. I think that's, um, that's the timing is perfectly uh, done on that yep. one. Yeah. Yep. And that was a lot, that one's a lot of fun. It's very visual. There, there's a lot of really great illustrations and photos that drive home the lessons that I'm trying to teach. Yeah. Yeah. What a life you lead, Jim. It's it's a pleasure talking to you, man. I'm living the dream, man. You're doing it, and you know, like as a young boy, you got that calling, and that was it. And now you are the go-to guy, 
And uh, can people catch you on podcasts, or uh, is there is there a newsletter? The best way to the best way to find me online right now is on Facebook. I have a couple of websites that we're in the middle of dismantling and rebuilding. Yeah. Um, but Facebook is the best way to find me. Just search Jim Cobb and look for the icon of the Urban Preppers Guide. Excellent. You know, that's the photo I'm using right now. Easy to find me. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of groups on Facebook that I admin. Uh, Real World Prepping is my favorite group. that I created that several months ago, and people are really loving it. So if you can't find me, do a search for Real World Prepping. Find that group. Click join and, you know, Join in the conversations. Yes, glean the information that could save your life and definitely make you feel more confident about going through this thing we call life with Jim Cobb. (laughs) Jim, thank you so much, man. What an honor. Thank you, sir. Anytime. The Mike Tamano Happening.